Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Creed. It's a word that we don't use too often anymore, um, but it is a powerful word, and it's a word you're going to hear a lot in the coming weeks, and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I, when I was thinking about Creed, when I first started thinking about it, uh, if you are my age, you might have thought about these couple things as well. Creed the band. Anybody think of Creed the band? I don't know. I thought they were really good um, back in the 90s. I really liked their lead singer's voice. But then I found out when I looked them up online to see where they're at now uh, that they were voted the worst band of the 1990s uh, by um, Rolling Stone. I don't know. Uh, I thought they were good, but what do I know? Um, and then... I also thought of Apollo Creed. Anybody think of Apollo Creed when you hear that word? Yeah, like he's the, what do they call it? The dancing destroyer, the king of sting. Uh, he was the, if you guys don't know, there's probably people younger in here like, Rocky, who's that? Um, anyway, it was a boxing movie. He was, the, he was the enemy guy for Rocky and Rocky won. And anyway, I did ask a young adult the other day, I said Creed, and they were like, oh, the movie, the movie. And I guess it's, it's part of the Rocky series. It's about Apollo Creed's son or something. I don't know. Haven't seen it. But anyway, those are kind of the things that, that, that many people probably think of, and I thought of even as well. Um, but here's the definition we're going to kind of stick to for the next couple of, of weeks. Let's see here. It's, it, is, it is a statement of beliefs that determine the action of those who believe it. A statement of beliefs that determine the action of those believe it, who believe it. So creeds have been used throughout time. Um, the church, church history is filled with them. I just took a class in seminary about church history, and we learned several creeds that were adopted by the church throughout the years. They've been very, very important because creeds, what they are, they, they are the core beliefs of what we, we, we believe. And so we, we, we use them to remind us of who we are, we use them to remind us of who God is. We use them to remind us of, of what we're going to do about that relationship in our lives. And so it's very important that we have things like creeds to do just that. It, it brings unity inside of the church. And it helps us to, when we're going through difficult times or really good times, it helps us to bring us back into, and to um, give us a foundation of what we stand on at all times. I've been reading a book called Preaching as Reminding, um, and it's all about, as the title suggests, that it's all about how preaching, when we preach, we should be reminding people of who they are and, and who God is and what we believe about those things. Um, but it, I think it can go into the uh, creeds as well. And so let me, let me read a quote from there. It's in your bulletin if you want to follow along. It says this, memory is more than simple mental recall. It is reactualization, making past things present, and it rarely divorces action and emotion from cognitive recall. In the Bible, remembering puts th uh, together things that have been dismembered or amputated. 
So I think we can probably all relate to this. What we do is we, we come to church and we're reminded of who we are. We're reminded of who God is. Um, we, we go to a Bible study or, or, or we do something that reminds us of who those, those things that are most important to us. And then we go out into our jobs or we go to school or we, we go do our things. And all of a sudden we start temporarily forgetting those things. They stop defining us. They stop being our identity. And we start acting like a different person than we would on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night or whenever it is that you are reminded of those things. And creeds, as well as um, the music that we sing and, and the preaching and all these things are, are meant to remind us over and over and over again about who we are, who God is, the most important core truths of, of what we say our identities are. Hebrews 2.1 says this, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. We must, we must use these things. We must remind ourselves over and over again so that way these core beliefs, these this most important things about our identity continually come and, and are on the forefronts of our minds so that we might not drift away from it. And I'm guessing if you're sitting here today, there's been moments in your life where you, you're, you're feeling great and you know exactly who you are in the Lord and then something in your life kind of rocks that and you drift away from it. We've all done it. It happens to each and every one of us. Today's Father's Day. Thank, I'm so glad to see so many dads in the, in the building, and I'm sure there's several online. And so thank you for, for being here and giving part of your day um, to the Lord and, and to worship of him. Um, but here's a challenge for you dads, and, and really it's to every single person in here, anybody who um, has a circle of influence, people that in their lives that they want to influence. But as dads, I, I just think of this because I'm a father of four. One of my main jobs is to help my children to remember the most important things of who they are. And not, not in the way that, like we sometimes do, we, 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 we get them to remember it when they're in our presence, right? Kids do that all the time. We do that all the time. When we're in the presence of certain people, we will act like we, we say who we are. But our goal as, as fathers and anybody who's influencing others is to help someone remember who they are in our presence and outside of our presence. It's one of our main goals, and, and creeds are one of the ways we can do that, along with just teaching and reminding someone of who they are over and over again. So, as you saw in our, our little video that we, we introed the sermon to, we have a, a, a creed here at Vanguard. And what's the first statement? Someone help me start that out. God, you are my father, and I will follow you. That's the statement that we're going to talk about today. And why is it that we started out with, God, you are my father? I mean, this is a, this term, father, like it's kind of been hijacked by society as many words have. Um, but man, when, when you see father like on media or, or if you see a dad in a TV show, they're usually dumb brutes who just don't get it. Um, and mom's always correcting them or, or whatever. They're, that's kind of the picture that we have of a father. So it's been kind of hijacked, but there's other words that we could have 
have, could have substituted in here for the father. Other names that he gladly takes and mean a lot about him. We could have said, God, you are my potter. Because God is our creator. He's, he has shaped us and he's made us in his image. It's an important part of who God is. We could have said, God, you are my shepherd. Because, right, the, the Bible calls him our shepherd. And we can all admit to the fact that we are dumb, stinky animals sometimes. And we're going off on our own, on our own paths and we're, and we're getting lost. And we, and we need protection and provision from the Lord. We need, we need that from our, our shepherd. So that would have been a really good word to be in there. But I think when, when this, this statement was written, I think it was right because I think God the Father is one of the two most important statements and, and characteristics of God. And so the question that we're going to handle today is, what does it mean for God to be our Father? What does it mean for God to be our Father? And so... Um, when you read the Bible, I, I mentioned this, the, the two different characteristics that I think of most. The first one is amplified and focused on in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's, there's really this focus on God being this powerful, sovereign um, king. It's, it's focused in on his holiness and his perfection. And the whole point of the Old Testament is, is showing people that they cannot live up to the same characteristic that God is, which is this powerful, holy, perfect king. In fact, the Jews, even up to Jesus's time, they wouldn't even say God's name out loud out of fear and reverence. They wouldn't even say it out loud. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and as he does so often, he flips it on its head. He comes in, and, and right before he, he, he prays the Lord's Prayer, actually, he begins the Lord's Prayer, and he says, Daddy. It's the most intimate of words. In fact, it's, one, it's part of the reason that Jesus was killed. The leaders heard him talking in such an intimate way about the Father, and they say, you are blaspheming God. You are bringing God's name down, and you should, you should die for this. So Jesus flips it on its head, and, and he starts using this most intimate of words for the creator, all-powerful king, but good father. So what does it mean for God to be our father? Well, first, point number one is Intimacy. Intimacy. God, the Father, gives and desires intimacy in our relationship with him. And I'm afraid that I'm getting ready to lose some of you guys here. Because the words intimacy and father shouldn't go in the same sentence for some of you. Right? I'm, I know there's probably some people in this room right now or listening online who may not even know their father. Or they might not have a, a very good relationship with their father. I get that. We have a lot of flawed and, and not good relationships in this world. Or maybe you have a, a good relationship with your father, but much like me, you might have a relationship that, that you would never call intimate, right? My father, he loves me, and he loved me. He, he, he raised me well. He, he loved me through those years. He provided for our family. He did everything that a father is, is supposed to do. But I would never use the word intimate 
with my father. He's not, he is not the person that I think of when I'm, when I'm going through a super hard time or he's not the first person I think of, man, I really need to go talk to my dad. And so I know there's a lot of people in here who are sitting here with all kinds of different types of relationships with their fathers, but God, the father, our heavenly father, he wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And this is the hardest place for me to get to, right? Like, it, it is really hard for me to, to, to get intimate with even my heavenly father. And it's even, it shows up in my life in different places, right? It shows up in that relationship with my father as it did with his father. But it shows up with my kids even. And I hate to admit this because I want to be, I want to stand up here and be like, yeah, I'm the perfect dad. But that's not the case. I, I have a really, really hard time being intimate and, and having those really close and heart conversations with my children. And I'm guessing there's some of you in here that have that as well. But that's what God desires. He wants to have a super close relationship with you. He wants to be with you through the hardest and best times. So how do we join God the Father in this relationship, in this intimate relationship? Relationship. I think Jesus states it best when he's telling you what, what I referred to just a moment ago in Matthew 6. So if you, wanna, if you haven't already, you can open up your Bibles to Matthew 6. You can open up your bulletins or you can open up your Bible apps and, and get to Matthew 6 with me. That's where we're going to start today. We're going to kind of bounce around a little bit. But Matthew 6, 7, and 8 says this. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So, an intimate relationship with the Heavenly Father happens just like any intimate relationship happens. Time spent doing real things, working through real things of life. And Jesus here references how these leaders would go before the Father with empty phrases. I don't know about you, but this, this hits home for me. I've had, I can, countless times where I'm praying because this is what a good Christian should do. Or I'm praying because, man, I'm a pastor and I need to represent this well to the people that I'm leading. And so I need to be in prayer. And so my prayers look something like this. I'm, I'm working through a sin issue. I'm working through something difficult in my life. And, and rather than talking and going before the Lord with those things, I'm going before him and I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm traveling this week. Can you just give me safe travels? Can you, can you, broke the, can you, can you fix and heal the, my grandma's small toe because she broke it yesterday? You know, like stuff that is good to take to him, but not what's on my heart, like truly on my heart and going on in my life. An intimate relationship is, is me and you sharing what is actually on your heart and your mind. Because here's the thing with God. He, he knows what's going on already. He knows all the things that you haven't even told your closest person. He knows the things you haven't even told yourself. So when we hide behind um, empty phrases, like empty prayers even, that's, that's why we, we don't have an intimate relationship because we are not being real with him. I don't know. I say we, this is about me right now. I have that issue. I, I go before him with empty phrases. And maybe you do too. I'm guessing that's probably the case. 
And sometimes it's, we think it's for a good reason. We're like, ah, that's a small thing. I don't want to bother the Lord with it or something like that. But usually, again, I'm speaking to myself. For me, it's I don't want to deal with it myself. And if I say it out loud to the Lord, then all of a sudden it becomes real, not only in my relationship with him, but in my own life and in my own heart. I don't know. I don't know who I'm hitting, but that's, that is a big deal for me. And so God is the perfection of this intimate relationship. He wants to know the most details of your life. And again, like I said, he knows them already. And here's the kicker. He knows all those, the worst things that you could think about yourself. He knows them and he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway, right where you're at. And he cares for you and he wants to walk with you through those things. He wants to, to be with you inside of your mess, whatever that is. And when we can start actually realizing that God wants to hear from us, he wants to be part of that, and he does hear us whenever we bring those things to him, then we will have the intimate relationship that God desires. And he knows what's best. And I promise you, if you can get there, your relationship with God will change. And so he goes on in Matthew 6 and he says this, 6-9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. So we write the Father there, but, but truly this word, whatever, whatever intimate words you can think of for dad, that's what Jesus is saying here. He, it is an intimate word. It's daddy, it's dad, it's, it's papa, whatever, whatever that word is for you. He is speaking in the most intimate way, and he's breaking every Jewish rule by doing so. And he's doing it on purpose. He's showing us that we have opportunity to have a close, personal, intimate relationship with the Father. And then he says, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus, right here in, in Matthew 6, 9, and 10, he shows us that, yes, our relationship with the Father can and, and should be intimate, but it is also intentional. So what does it mean for God to be our Father? It's intimacy and it's um, intentionality. God is intentional with his relationship with us, and he desires from us to be intentional with our relationship with him. How many of you guys have used the word hallowed in anything other than reading this verse? Anybody? I don't know. It's not a word I use other than when I read this verse and talk about it and when I say the Lord's Prayer. Only times I ever use hallowed. But what this word means is that it means to be set apart, to be revered in one's life. God, as our Father is and, and desires to be revered and set apart in our lives intentionally in all ways. And when this happens, when we start living in this intimate relationship and this intentional relationship, then the world will start to see it. That's what this next, the, the next part of this verse is saying, right? It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we start living in intimacy and intentionality with the Lord, then the world is going to start looking more like heaven. 
right? That's how we bring heaven to this earth, by living intimate and, and intentional relationship with God. And here, here's the biggest thing for me. When we start living intentionally with God, and, and this is where uh, there was a corner turned in my life. When, when I started living intentionally for the Lord, nothing changed about him. But all of a sudden, I started believing the truths that I knew in my head. There's a lot of truths that we sometimes don't believe, and a lot of it is because our lives don't line up with what we say we believe. Truths like this, like um, that we're re loved regardless of our past. I'm guessing there's a few people in here like, oh, Aaron, you just don't know what's in my past. There's no way the Lord could love me like that. No, a promise that he has given us is that it doesn't matter what's happened in your past. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what Jesus has done. And I sent him because I love you. He loves us regardless of our past. Or maybe it's a truth like this, that, that you are a, a created as a unique person in the image of God. Each and every one of you is created uniquely, but also in the image of God. Every single person that you're going to look at today or the rest of your life, when you look them in the eyes, you're looking at someone made it in the created, in the image of God. That's a truth that we sometimes don't believe. Or that we're gifted. Sometimes we have a hard time believing that we are, are gifted and that gift can be used to glorify God. But the Bible tells us that, yes, you are gifted. And yes, you can use that to, to grow closer to Christ and to bring others closer to Christ. Or maybe the truth, this one's a always, it's a hard one to continually believe, but that, that we have been given the most amazing gift in Jesus Christ. And the forgiveness and the grace that comes from that. If you're sitting here today, Jesus came and died for you. That's the truth that the Bible tells us. That's the gospel, Jesus, that God the Father loves you and sent his, his only son so that you might see forgiveness and grace from him and that you might be made right with him. All of those statements, all these, all these things that are hard to believe sometimes in our life are identity statements. They should be what defines our life, what, what everything comes back to. And so what does it... What does, um, what does it mean for God to be our father? Well, intimacy, um, intentionality, identity. The father gives identity in this relationship. Uh, back, I think, in March or February, I preached on Jesus' baptism. And I just want to remind you guys about that. Jesus, he grew up for 30 years, and he hadn't done any ministry. He he grew up perfect, and I'm sure people noticed there's something different about him. But he hadn't done any work, per se. And he comes to John the Baptist and says, hey, John, I want to be baptized. So he comes to the Jordan with John, and, and he's, he's put into the water. And when he comes back up, the clouds open up, and a dove comes down and lands on Jesus. And then the Father's voice comes, and everybody hears it, and he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That is a moment of identity. God the Father is saying, this is my son. You might not know him because he hasn't done any work yet. He hasn't done his purpose yet. He hasn't lived that out. But he already has this identity that I've given him. 
And each and every one of us, if if you have given your life to Christ, it doesn't matter what you've done because it's not based on your work. God has given you an identity. He says, you are my son. You are my daughter. And I am well pleased. I love you. God gives us an identity. In Ephesians 1, Paul talks about this very thing. Verses 3 through 6. Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So Paul Paul is introducing this letter to the church of Ephesus, and he's saying, hey, God the Father is, is the Father of Jesus Christ. And then he says he is... He's, he's blessed us through Jesus. And then Ephesians 4 says this, or 1 4 says this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Your identity is this, that you have been chosen by God the Father, the creator, the potter, the shepherd, but the Father has chosen you. And by the way, when he chose you, he knew that you were going to turn your back on him. He knew that you were going to be disrespectful to him. He knew that you weren't going to love him well in so many points of your life. And he still chose you and adopted you as a son or a daughter. And it's not like he just, like, just picked you. It's not that kind of choice. It's sacrificial. It is costly to him. Angie and I, um, man, how long ago was it? It was several years ago. Uh, oh, it was between our, so we have two sets of children. We have two older ones and two younger ones. So after we had the two older ones, we were like, you know, God might want us to stop. I don't know. Let's, let's figure this out. And so when we paused in that, well, about a year, I think probably about a year into that, we were like, you know, I think God might want us to adopt a child. And so we, we started through the process, and, um, and so we were, we were really excited about it. We started filling out a lot and a lot of paperwork. And then they were like, oh, yeah, by the way, here's the, just the, the first fee that you owe us. And it was a lot of money. I don't know. There's probably some people in here who have adopted. It's not a, a cheap thing. It's very, very costly in many ways. And my example is very, very small. We didn't even end up going through the process because the country we were trying to adopt through closed their doors and we felt like that was God closing the door on that. But my point is, is that adoption is very costly, very sacrificial to parents. And they make the choice. I think adoption is the best picture of the gospel that we have on earth because it is a choice to love someone who you don't have to love. And to take on all the things that might come with that, the difficulties that, that parents go through and, and all these different things, it's costly. And that is a, it's a great picture of the gospel, but it's even unfair because it's not the same as what God did for us. He chose to adopt us into his family. And when he made that choice, he knew that it was going to cost him the, this, his relationship or his son, not his relationship with his son, but his son. And he paid it. He paid it intimately. He paid it intentionally. And he paid it to give us 
identity as sons and daughters of his. God calls us to follow him. He calls us into this relationship and he wants us to live intentionally. We do have a part in this. Now our part, again, doesn't save us, doesn't change the way he loves us, but our part is very important. He calls us to come alongside him and live intentionally in this life, right? God, you are my father and I will follow you. We get a part in this and he wants us to have a part in this. It's not part of the adoption, but it's part of of how we live that out as sons and daughters. We get to join him in this life, and and, um, so much of it, uh, it, it's not easy. It doesn't change our circumstances, but it does bring in blessing. It brings in joy and peace that surpasses all of those those things that are going on in our life, both good and bad. So, Having, a, having an identity as a son or daughter, it starts right now. Our lives change immediately. When we give our lives to Christ, it changes immediately. Many of you guys have, have done that. You've given your life to Christ and your life changes. There's, there's consequences and blessings that come with it. And some of you haven't, and I'm going to invite you to that in just a few moments. But, but my point is, is it, is it starts now. But it doesn't just happen now. The fourth point of what does it mean for God to be our father is inheritance. The father promises an inheritance in this relationship. He promises something that goes well beyond this life. Let me read Colossians 1, 12 through 14. It says this, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So inheritance, right? This was a big deal in Jesus' time. Almost everything was based on what, so you, you kind of, you, a lot of times they would work for their fathers in order that they might have an inheritance once their father was gone. What does inheritance mean for us now, right? I mean, we still have some of those same meanings. We still, we still gain inheritances when our, when our parents pass away a lot of times. But with Jesus, the inheritance is this. A, a relationship, a, a, a eternal presence of the son, his most beloved son. Let me ask you this. We've, I don't know, growing up, I heard a lot of stories about, about heaven and how awesome it's going to be in heaven. You know, the, the, the gold bricks and the whatever, the perfect relationships, all these different things that are going to be part of heaven and are going to be a big deal. But I am convinced that it's not really going to be that big of a deal. What's going to be a big deal is that you are in the presence of the most beloved son of God the Father. So let me ask you this, if, if that's all that you get, if, if the only thing that you're going to get when you go to heaven is that you're going to be beside Jesus and you're going to be able to recognize who he is and you're going to be living in perfect relationship with him, is that enough? Is that enough? Because that is what matters. God says it right here. It, our our um, 
our inheritance is this, that he has transferred us from the domain of darkness, the, 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 the fact that we are not going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, to the fact that we get to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Is that enough for you? I think someday you're going to understand that, yeah, that is enough. I don't, I don't care about the, all those other cool things because I get to be in the presence of Jesus. That is our inheritance. And it changes our lives now, and it changes our lives in the future. So I kind of want to close with just a couple challenges. I, I'm guessing there's probably some people in here who have never submitted their lives to Jesus Christ. If that's you, the one thing that, that is asked of you is this, that you would give your life to Jesus. He, I mean, we can all admit that, that we have things in our lives that, that are not as God designed. I think we can all admit that. I hope we can all admit that. I know I can. And, and so we have this separate, what that does creates this separation between us and God. But Jesus, he sent Jesus, and Jesus paid the cost. He paid the price for our sin, and that removes that. And he invites us into relationship with him. He invites us into an intimate, intentional relationship with him. He invites us into a relationship that will give us a new identity, and that, will, that promises inheritance. So if you're sitting here today and you have no relationship with Jesus Christ, I would just invite you to, to dive into that and figure out what that means if, you, if you're not, not there. We're going to hear in just a few moments during our communion time, we're going to have people up here ready to pray with you. Come and talk to them about it. Come and figure out what, who this Jesus Christ guy is and what it might mean for your life. Because it's the, the biggest decision you will ever make in your life. For those of you who have been walking with Jesus or maybe just started walking with Jesus, there's questions, I think, on the bulletin that, that I'd love for you guys to walk through. But, um, but here's, here's the real question. Are, are, you, are you coming alongside Jesus in this relationship? And, 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 you know, like being real with him, being intimate with him. Are you taking the next step of being intentional in your life with him? Are you allowing everything you do to come inside of that and, and being your identity of who you are and, and the inheritance to give you this eternal hope that we can all have inside of Jesus Christ? Here's a challenge. This is the last thing I'm going to say. Here's a challenge that I give to a lot of my young adults. It's a, it's a simple challenge, maybe something that you're already doing, but I found that it really works to help us get in the right mindset and, and perspective with Jesus. And I do this when I first wake up in the morning. So it's, you guys have probably heard like the, what is that, an acronym? I don't know, where, A-C-T-S. Have you guys heard that with prayer? So I just kind of, I take off the S because it's not important to this perspective thing. So A is adoration. If you wake up and you just, if you did, or any time during the day when you're praying, and if you just take time and you adore God, you remember that he is a potter, that he is a, a shepherd, that he is your creator, that he is your powerful king, and that he is your loving father. And just spend time sitting in that moment. Because what that does is it puts God way up here on a pedestal, right where he deserves to be. Right where we should have him. So we adore him. And then spend time in confession. 
Because confession does a lot of things, but what it, what it does when I'm talking about perspective is it reminds you of who you are without Jesus. It reminds you of, of, of your sinful side, of your weak side. And I'm not saying spend a lot of time in that because that's not healthy, but to spend some time in it in order that you might put God here and then all of a sudden you put yourself here. Not in a negative, horrible, unhealthy way, but you put yourself well below God where we belong to be because we are not God. But what we do in our lives is we start, we start thinking very highly of ourselves or thinking a little bit lower of God and it starts competing. That's when we get idols in our life. So we need to put God here and we need to put ourselves here. We need to have this, this healthy separation of who we are and who God is. And then you spend time in thanksgiving and you thank God for his grace. You thank God for those, those truths that we went through. The fact that he did create you in his image and that he loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and that he forgives you for those things that you just confessed and that he shows grace to you. And when you do that, I promise you, your relationship, all of a sudden you'll just be like, Lord, I feel so close to you right now. It will become more intimate. And when you ha truly have that intimacy in your life, the intentionality becomes easier. All of a sudden you're like, man, I want to share Jesus because I just feel so close to him. He's on, he's on the forefront of my mind and that's just what I wanna talk about. And then your identity, it starts becoming more and more consistent rather than slipping into different identities, you become more and more consistent of everything being about him. And you're reminded in that time of thankfulness, you'll be reminded of this eternal inheritance that we all get. Not deservedly so, or maybe because he says we deserve it. Not because we do anything, but because of what Jesus has done. So ACT, adore, confess, and give thanksgiving. I think it's, it's very, very simple, but I believe it's a life changer. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.